Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at graceforsufalls.org. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. But truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom heaven. Heavenly Father, as we contemplate the kingdom of heaven, we pray that you would give us right eyes to see the path into your glory. We ask that your word would speak to us now by the power of your spirit. In Christ's name we ask it. Amen. You can rest assured that if Jesus tells people not to think something, the thing he's telling them not to think is the thing they're actually thinking. There's a reason why he says, don't think this. I don't want you to believe this thing. And it's because it's what everybody is assuming. It's what they believe to be the case. If Jesus says, don't think I've come to abolish the law, then it stands to reason that the people he's speaking to think that he has, that he is abolishing the law. Right? That makes sense. Not only does it make sense that they're thinking it, it makes sense that they're thinking it. In other words, You would expect Jesus to be doing exactly that because Jesus is the king who has come. Jesus is, to use a term of ours, a new sheriff in town. When there's a new sheriff, when there's a new boss, when somebody comes along and and establishes their authority, you expect them to do things their way, not the way things used to be done. There's always a change of rules when you get a change of regime. But if you found a new religion then absolutely you're going to have new rules to go along with it. You're going to get rid of the old religion that preceded it. You're going to rewrite the rules. You're going to overturn the old order in favor of a new one. When you take charge, you're going to purge everything that went before you. You're only going to keep the stuff that fits your new way of doing things. That makes sense because that's what human beings do when they take charge. Jesus is declaring the arrival of the kingdom of heaven, and he is the king of heaven, so it stands to reason that Jesus is going to do everything differently, and people naturally expect that the old will pass away in favor of the new. And they're not the only ones, because when we look back on Jesus' life and on his ministry, most of us look back and we see something very similar happening. We look back and we say to ourselves, Jesus founded a new religion. He got rid of the law and he replaced it with grace. And only the parts of the Old Testament uh, that he liked, only the ones that fit with grace still apply. Everything else has been done away with. Everything that doesn't fit with our idea of Jesus as a loving and benevolent teacher who accepts and approves of us exactly as we are. Everything that doesn't fit with that is gone, is done. Which Jesus, in our text, replies, do not think that that's what I came to do. Do not think that I came to hit the reset. Do not think that I came to abolish 
the law. That's not why I'm here. From his own lips, he tells us what he hasn't come to do and what he has come to do. And when Jesus tells us something, we should listen. We should take it seriously. So what we're going to do as we contemplate this text, we're going to look at what Jesus didn't come to do. We're going to look at what he did come to do. And then we're going to look at what that teaches us about him and about his work. We'll start with what Jesus didn't come to do. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. Now, that's such a familiar saying of Jesus that it's easy to hear those words and not pay attention to what they mean. If I were to ask you to do this little call and response, you know, Jesus hasn't come to abolish the law. He's come to, you would all say, fulfill the law. Or you might mouth it. You probably wouldn't say it out loud. Because in a Presbyterian setting, you might be the only one. But you get the idea, right? Like we, we have that one-two punch already in our mind. And as a result of that, maybe we don't pay enough attention to the first part. Like what it means to say that he didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets. So the law and the prophets is shorthand uh, what, for what we would call the Old Testament. The law is the Torah. It's the books of Moses. The prophets is everything else in the Old Testament. Obviously, Jesus is specifically thinking of the Ten Commandments, of the law as law. But when he says he hasn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, there's also a sense in which he's saying, I haven't come to abolish Scripture. I haven't come to get rid of the Old Testament. And as you meditate on those words more and their implications, you see there's a lot of other things Jesus didn't come to do. Jesus didn't come to create a new religion to replace the old one. Even though we often look back and we say, well, this is where Christianity is founded, as opposed to Judaism. Jesus did not found a new religion to replace an old one. Instead, Jesus' work is in continuity. He's not a Jewish rabbi who ended up founding Christianity. Jesus is the fulfillment, as he would say, of what went before. So he didn't come to create a new religion. Also, Jesus did not come to rewrite the rules or overturn the old. Jesus didn't grow up in Old Testament Judaism and find it really stifling and repressive and hard to understand the love of God because of all the rules and decide, you know what, when I grow up and I'm a rabbi, I'm going to flip the script on this stuff and I'm just going to emphasize love. That's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus didn't create a religious revolution where he redefined what it meant to be a good Jew where he replaced that that legalistic community with with a community of grace and love and acceptance. That's not what Jesus came to do. Jesus also didn't come to erase or countermand the bad parts of the Old Testament. Jesus didn't look at the hard stuff. He didn't look at the commandments that didn't seem to fit his idea of who God was and say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and get rid of that. And we're just going to keep the stuff that fits with my new understanding. In other words, Jesus didn't go in with a pair of scissors and cut out the parts of the law and the prophets that that didn't fit or that he couldn't make sense of. He didn't come to abolish any of it. He says all of it is going to remain. Down to, here in the translation, we have dots and iotas. This is Jesus getting into fine points of typography. Like he's saying it's, it's not just the 
the, the big idea contained in the words that won't pass away. And it's not just the words that won't pass away. It, it's like the writing of the words. It's like the little dots, the, the yod, the, the smallest alphabet uh, symbol there. It's, it's the swash on the letter that will endure and will be preserved. So clearly, Jesus didn't go in and kind of pick and choose what parts of the Law of the Prophets were still good and, and, and leave the rest behind. Also, this is good to keep in mind because of where chapter 5 ends up going. Jesus didn't come to replace the old commands with newer, stricter ones. Jesus didn't read the Ten Commandments and say, you know what? Adultery, murder, that's great, but a lot of people can do that. I'm going to rewrite these commandments so that nobody can keep it. That's also not what Jesus did. He wasn't the ultimate Pharisee who took God's law and added on to it this extra stuff. Rather, Jesus is going to teach the law as it truly is. So when you reflect on what Jesus didn't come to do, there are a couple of warnings, I hope, that that emerge. A warning to all of us today who see the New Testament as the abolition or the supersession of the old. From time to time, you'll, you'll hear people who should know better say things like, I have no use for the Old Testament. Like, I'm just a New Testament Christian. Whatever it says in the Old Testament, that doesn't apply to us. When you come across Jesus saying words like this, you have to ask yourself, did Jesus see the Old Testament the way many modern Christians do? The answer is no. Jesus would never think of saying, well, the Law and the Prophets don't apply. The Law and the Prophets are no longer of value, no longer of importance. Even the stuff that's difficult, even the stuff that's hard for us to understand, remains valuable and important in the eyes of Jesus. It's also a warning to those of us who use Jesus to cancel out Scripture. Whenever we use our idea of who Jesus is, how loving he is, how accepting he is, what a a great and and open-minded person Jesus was, and then we go to the parts of the Bible that just don't seem like they fit, they just don't seem like they, they are compatible with our idea of Jesus, and we use Jesus to cancel those things out. In Jesus' day, it would be the Old Testament, but you know, people do that with the New Testament as well. Right? There were a lot of people who believed that Jesus, if you follow him to his ultimate trajectory, will cancel out Paul, will cancel out all the stuff we don't want to find in the New Testament. But again, the words of Jesus... Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. That is not why Jesus came. And if we use him to do this, we're using him wrongly. The point is that Jesus isn't an antinomian. That Jesus is not here to just get rid of the law. Jesus is not saying the problem with with law is that, that it's stifling and we should all be anarchists. We don't need law. We could be a law unto ourselves. That's not the message of Jesus. And that means that the gospel of Jesus is not saying this. It's not saying that the law was so hard it couldn't be kept, so Jesus came and abolished the law so that we could be saved. It's not that the rules were too hard and nobody could keep them, so Jesus had to come to lower the bar. That's not the gospel. Rather, Jesus came to fulfill, as he says, to accomplish what we could not Accomplish and his law keeping righteousness becomes ours through faith. Which brings us to what Jesus came to do. What Jesus came to do in his own words, he says, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
But truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. There are two words there to hold on to, to fulfill and to accomplish. When we think of law, the, the word, the verb that we would use in relation to law is keep. You keep the law. But now we're introduced to a new understanding of what the law can be. The law can be fulfilled. The law can be accomplished, which is a little bit different. Jesus is telling us what he came to do. Jesus has come to fulfill the law and through fulfilling the law to accomplish its purpose, to accomplish the purpose of the law. Let me give you another translation, a looser translation of verse 17. One commenter renders it this way. He says, Do not think I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy them, but to bring them to their intended goal. To bring them to their intended goal. That all of Scripture, all of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, had to sort of tell us a goal, an objective. They were working towards something. And when Jesus says he fulfills them, what he means is he brings them to completion. He like does the thing that those laws and those prophets were pointing to. If there's any aspect of the old order of the law and the prophets that no longer applies, it's not because Jesus abolished it or he erased it. It's because he fulfilled it, because he accomplished its purpose. And even the things he has fulfilled and accomplished continue to have value. They continue to apply, at least in the sense that they reveal to us something about God's character, about his holiness. They still have something to teach us. They, they need to be remembered and not erased. With the law of God is concerned, things only pass as a result of being accomplished. So the whole Old Testament is meant to be fulfilled and accomplished in Christ either in his first coming, where we hear him speaking, or in his second coming. So some has been fulfilled already. Some has been accomplished already. Some will be fulfilled and accomplished when he comes again. And until that happens, he says, it doesn't pass away. Nothing passes away until it has been fulfilled, until it has reached its intended goal. Or to borrow words from the Apostle Paul, when the perfect comes, the partial passes away. But the partial doesn't pass away until the perfect comes. That's the point. Maybe the best example that we can think of in the Old Testament of this process taking place is the sacrificial system. If uh, you're reading in the same Bible reading plan this year that Lori and I have been reading in, uh, one of the passages has been in Ezra. And in the story of Ezra, when the, the people return to the temple, they, they make a lot of sacrifices. They offer a lot of burnt offerings to sanctify the place and to sort of get their relationship with God correct. But that came to an end when Christ came. That was a whole elaborate, you might think of as like the central aspect of the communal life of Israel. Like everything revolved around the temple because everything revolved around sacrifices and the need to make sacrifices. But when Jesus came and he made his ultimate sacrifice once and for all at the cross, the purpose of that entire system was fulfilled. So yes, in a sense, it passed away, but, but not because it was abolished. Not because Jesus came onto the scene, saw what was going on in the temple, and said, you know what? 
I don't like all this animal cruelty. We need to get rid of this. It wasn't some sort of moral repugnance that led to reform. It was a fulfillment, a greater sacrifice that meant that these lesser sacrifices were no longer necessary because the thing they pointed to had already taken place. That's what the author of Hebrews is arguing in Hebrews chapter 10. That Christ has made a once-for-all sacrifice. And because of that, everything has changed. It hasn't been abolished, but it's been accomplished. It's been fulfilled. Because for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Hebrews 10.14. So you see the change that takes place. You're never going to come to church and have me say, you know what? Turns out I've been reading the Old Testament and we forgot about animal sacrifices. We need to get back on that. That did happen in the Old Testament. There were periods of time when when they lapsed and they had to to get things going again. When They discovered in in Scripture that they weren't doing things that they were supposed to be doing and they had to reinstitute them, but no longer because Christ has fulfilled those things. Not abolished, he has fulfilled, he has accomplished what they pointed to. This passing will not be complete until heaven and earth pass away. And when you hear those words, that may sound like what Jesus is saying is they will never pass away. The idea is that heaven and earth will never pass away. That would be one way of reading it, sort of a figure of speech. Jesus is just saying that, that Scripture is eternal. But in eschatological terms, thinking about the the end of the world, the way the Bible depicts it, there is actually a point when this heaven and earth will pass away and will be replaced by a new heaven and earth. So it seems that what Jesus is saying is something a little bit different than what you might think at first. He's saying that the relevance of the law will continue until Christ's return makes all things new. One commentator says the words of this expression are not simply a popular way of saying never. They refer instead to the end of time as we know it and the beginning of eschatology proper, that is, the time of the regeneration of the created order. In other words, the law, as we interpret by Jesus, will remain valid until the close of this age. That even now, with Christ having fulfilled so much of the law and the prophets, the law remains valid now for us. The question is, what does this teach us? And again, we don't have to wonder too much because Jesus gives us the application as well. Jesus actually tells us what we should take away from this. He says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom. So if you think about the lessons we've already learned, let's say, the the things we can take away from this before we see the application that Jesus makes. We've seen there's a continuity between the Old and the New Testament. Jesus hasn't abolished the Old Testament. You can see that the Old represents God's plans and his promises and that the New comes in order to fulfill those things, not to get rid of it, so that you can't use Jesus to cancel out Scripture because of that wholeness, that the only way that something is going to pass away is by being transformed through fulfillment. We see all of that. But here, the application Jesus makes is, you might say, more practical, less theological. Jesus, the, the, the takeaway that he gives us is, you need to do this, and you need to teach it. He says, don't relax it, and don't not do it. 
Like, like, don't relax it and teach other people to relax it. Instead, do it and teach other people to do it. That's his application. We shouldn't relax the commandments. We shouldn't teach other people to regard as clean what God has called unclean. Reverse the words that were spoken to Peter. We shouldn't call sinless what God has declared sinful. Instead, we should uphold this standard of obedience and we should teach others to do it. Now, the word here that's translated in the ESV is relaxing. If you compare other uh, translations, it's a common word in Greek, luo, and, it, and literally it means breaking. So in the King James or in other more literal translations, it'll be translated breaking. But if you look at the NIV, it's translated set aside. The NASB says nullified. The NLT says ignored. All of them are trying to capture a sort of nuance in, in the word. It's not just the idea of, like a, a personal violation of the commandment, but, but almost the implication is a, a violation of the commandment that reflects like a contempt for it. Like it's not that I'm breaking it because I just can't help it. I want to be good, but I can't be. It's more like I'm breaking it because, you know, honestly, I'm not even sure that's wrong. I'm, I'm breaking the commandment because, honestly, I think it's an unreasonable thing to expect. There's something of the flavor of that that's captured in relaxing. Right? Uh, a religious authority, a pastor could look at the Bible and he could find in the Bible all sorts of things that realistically people just can't do. If you tried to do all that stuff, it would just drive you crazy. And so he might, out of, uh, uh, let's say, the goodness of his heart, a desire to let people off the hook, say, you know what, you don't need to worry about that stuff. You just need to worry about love. And yet, in that good-intentioned, well-intentioned action, wouldn't you be guilty of doing exactly what Jesus says not to do? Of relaxing the commandment, of, of lowering the standard of holiness, of acting as if it doesn't matter as much as God seems to think that it does. Interesting, when Jesus does the contrast, and it's between relaxing the commandments and doing them. So he's not saying, on the one hand, you could relax them or not take them seriously enough. Or on the other hand, the right way would be to over-enforce them. The right way would be not only to keep the law, but to add a little law to the law, to be holier than God even. That's not what he's saying. It's relaxing or simply doing them, which is a clue to us as Jesus expounds on the commandments in the rest of chapter 5, that he's not redefining or raising the bar on the commandments. He's literally just telling us what the commandments actually expect and require. Get to that in future sermons, but just kind of bookmark that. For now, let's just sit with what Jesus says. Do it and teach it. Don't relax the law. Don't teach others to do it. The disciples of Jesus must uphold the law and they must pass it on because the need for righteousness remains central to the kingdom message. We are still called to pursue righteousness. And Jesus uses the language of reward and penalty here. There's a penalty for those who do not keep the law and teach the law. He says they'll be least in the kingdom. And there's a reward for those who do what Jesus says to do. They will be great in the kingdom. The point isn't that within the kingdom you won't ever find anybody relaxing the law. It's just that there are punishments for that. Punishments for not upholding the law. It's easy for us as Christians to say something like this. Look, nobody's perfect. 
grace is what matters. Maybe it's time to relax or de-emphasize all of the Bible's moral strictures. And honestly, that kind of logic resonates with me. There's lots of things in the Bible that I prefer not to have to preach. A lot of stuff that if I have to preach a sermon on it, it makes me seem like weird and old-fashioned and unloving and intolerant and all of the kinds of things you don't want to be seen as. And, and, and so, yeah, there's certainly, I find within myself, a desire to emphasize certain things and not other things. It's what forcing ourselves to go line by line through Scripture prevents us from doing, being selective with what we want to hear from God's Word. So I get the logic of that. But Jesus is is specifically pushing back against it. And if Jesus, who brings grace into the world, says, don't use grace as an excuse to ignore the call to righteousness, then we ought to listen to what Jesus is saying. I mean, anyone who claims to be teaching us God's Word while telling us that it's okay to live in ways that Jesus says it isn't, isn't teaching us God's Word. Now, I get that there are things in the Bible that feel like they don't really work in the modern world. This may be a surprise to you, but when Jesus was saying these words, the the Ten Commandments were already ancient. They were already old-fashioned. They were already way out of date in human terms. The standard that Jesus was applying here wasn't a standard of relevance. It was a standard of eternality. The law needed to be listened to because it reflected the character of God. That's the point. That's what made it timeless. And that still does. So let's talk about the need for righteousness. This is where we're going to kind of end, because this is where Jesus ends. At the end of our passage, we hear Jesus say something that sounds an awful lot like it contradicts something I've been saying over and over again. I've been saying over and over again that the kingdom of heaven can't be earned. It can only be received. But, But Jesus says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That sure sounds like the kingdom needs to be earned. That you need to be righteous enough to enter. And the bad news is, it means you're going to need to be more righteous than the people who are paragons of righteousness in your day. Scribes and the Pharisees are the people who are the experts in the law, the people you would look to for instruction on how to be righteous. And Jesus is saying, you're going to have to be more righteous than that to enter the kingdom. I've never heard words that sound less gospel than those. This sounds a little bit chilling. What is Jesus getting at here? Well, there's a couple of things. So, if we take the, let's say, the easy grace approach, where we're going to relax all of the commandments if we say there's no need for righteousness now, that, that grace covers our sins, so don't worry about your sin, well, Jesus is actually doing the opposite. Like, Jesus is ending here by saying not that the standard has been lowered, but the standard is actually higher than you realize. Like, you actually have to be more righteous than you realize in order to enter the kingdom. So again, it doesn't sound like he's abolishing or lowering or making things easier. If anything, he's making them harder. And he does this through the rest of the chapter. And as he talks about what it means to keep the law, it's like he seemingly, he's not doing this, he's not adding to it, but the way that he's explaining the law makes it sound like things are getting harder and harder. 
Like, you might have thought, all I have to do is not literally murder someone, and I'm good. And Jesus is like, oh, no, everybody you've hated, you've murdered in your heart. So you've broken that commandment. And at the end of chapter 5, you should be feeling, wait a second. If what Jesus is saying is right, then who can do this? Who can keep these commandments? And that's what you should be thinking. Because by the time Jesus is done, none of the commandments will feel keepable anymore. None of them will feel like something that you could easily check off. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees believed they were keeping the law, and that's the difference. They were men who, through their study, had come to an understanding of the law that allowed them to feel that they were righteous. But the only way that they could do that is by lowering those expectations. So they claimed to uphold the law, but then they found ways in which to undermine the law. And that's what Jesus is pushing back against here. He's making it seem much harder to keep the law. And at the same time, he's insisting on the necessity of keeping the law in order to enter the kingdom. And the effect of this is to drive the self-righteous to despair and so illustrate the need for grace. Because real grace, you never understand the need for real grace until you recognize that I must be perfectly righteous. I cannot be what I must be. Only then can you understand grace as it truly is. Because grace doesn't mean that the law no longer needs to be kept. Rather, grace means that there's someone else who can keep the law for you, whose righteousness can be yours. So yeah, grace gets you off the hook, but grace doesn't let you off the hook. The coming of the kingdom does not mean that we're now free to sin. The coming of the kingdom does not mean that behavior that we once thought of as sinful is now okay. Outside of the kingdom of Christ, an unbeliever looking in might say that the Bible condemns this, but the Bible is wrong, that's actually okay. We hear that a lot. Inside the kingdom, it's not as easy for us to do this. We say the Bible doesn't really condemn this, or maybe the Bible no longer condemns this, or at least we shouldn't make a big deal of the fact that the Bible condemns this any longer because of grace. It may seem like the distinction here is just semantics, like it's not a big difference in saying your sins are no longer sinful and your sins are forgiven, but in fact there's a mighty gulf between those two ideas. The scribes and the Pharisees were essentially teaching that their sins were no longer sinful because they didn't rise to the level of major sins. They knew they weren't perfect, but they weren't like like actually violating the law. They weren't taking it to the level beyond which it would be impossible to be redeemed. So in an odd way, they were actually perpetuating self-righteousness. Today, we do something similar by reclassifying what the Bible condemns as no longer wrong. And we do this because we think it, it sounds more gracious. We think it's more acceptable. People can hear it more easily. But the reality is you're doing exactly what the scribes and Pharisees did. Jesus says the scribes and Pharisees reinterpreted the law so that it could be keepable. And are you doing the same thing? If you ignore the parts of Scripture that feel hard and only emphasize the stuff that sounds good. If the gospel you preach is the gospel the world wants to hear. It's not the gospel that saves. Because the message that that sinful human beings want to hear is your sins are no longer sin, so continue as you are. It's okay. 
It's enough to abhor the sins that you don't love, and you'll be good. But the message of the gospel is actually this. Your sins are worse than you realize, and yet your sins are forgiven in Christ so that you can be free to sin no more. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsufalls.org. We also invite you to visit the iTunes store and subscribe to the Sermons of Grace podcast.